Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr, a News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Life and Leadership with me, Bobby Kerr. I travelled to Cork City to meet my next guest for this episode. Pat Phelan has had a life less ordinary, from working as a butcher in the English market to completing a multi-million dollar deal in the States. He's an amazing story to tell. From a mobile roaming startup to a fraud prevention success story, and now a hugely popular cosmetic treatments chain, he's always followed his entrepreneurial instinct. I sat down with Pat in his Sisu clinic on Oliver Plunkett Street to hear his fascinating story and talk life and leadership. Bring us back to Ballyfehan. Um, was growing up a breeze or was it tough? Probably tough. Right. Um, you know, it was a working class neighbourhood. Uh, my dad was the local publican. So, you know, I was going to guy, I was going to primary school with guys that their dads had been barred by my dad. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so it wasn't a breeze. It was a, it was a tough area growing up, you know. And would your father obviously had a, a very strong work ethic? Was it... Did, did, did you get any of that from him? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other night and, you know, growing up, I never remember my dad having a Saturday off in his life. Yeah. I remember he used to get, he used to take one Sunday a month and he used to take ch- Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah. And like, it was kind of, you know, it was yeah. 9 a.m. till 12, 12 midnight. Worked extraordinary hard, extraordinary hard all his life, you know, to provide and built, a, you know, it's a successful place. And uh, I probably developed a lot of that from him, you know. Now, you uh, you left school early, per se, because you were working in the English market, uh, just not far from us here, uh, from the age of 12, three, four years there. Yeah, I suppose at the time, all of us had a, a job, you know, Wednesday afternoon of high school up the road here to Deer Park School and Wednesday afternoon I'd hop on my bike and work right. and uh, Saturday all day and uh, it was pocket money you know yeah. but it was, it was kind of I suppose my parents were probably hoping it would lead to a trade even though I was great in school you know I did Latin and I did see honours everything but 1981-82 there wasn't a lot of opportunity yeah. around and you were trying to say if you you know, I was watching an ad on TV the other night and they were talking about trades and a guy becoming a painter, you know, and that was kind of what I had. You know, you'd be a painter, a mechanic or a butcher or something that was trade. And you went down that trade route, uh, apprenticeship butcher that you got eventually. Was that in the English market no, too? No, I was in a place called Watergrass Hill, just oh, outside yeah. Cork with yeah. uh, two guys, two brothers, the Ross brothers. It's, kind of, it's a Dawn Meats factory now and uh, I never liked it, to right. you know. <laughs> butchering wasn't uh so to the the length of time to get your trade was that three four years four years with right. the fifth year then kind of on a day release type thing yeah but you know i became a butcher that i had zero interest in in reality besides a wage you know right i'm probably the worst butcher in ireland like. <laughs> were you were you into tech as a kid uh, even though i suppose tech would have been different in those days but were you always were, i loved it I was obsessed with, um, do you remember the, the radio magazine, electronic magazine, and you'd get someone to go to America or post you a magazine, you'd see transistors and 
you know, it was huge into CB radios. You build radios. Build and that radios kind of stuff. and um, we used to have Ham International CB radios and we'd put antennas in roof and try to build homemade antennas from bits and pieces and talk to people in America. Like, I, I probably broke their hearts at home with antennas and I remember right. getting one, it was a 27-foot a whip. And I got stuck up on the roof of the house and they had to call the fire brigade to get me off the house. And no way. I was always tinkering and computers. I, 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 I did a computer in 81. Right. So the, the Sinclair DOS. Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> writing DOS and turning up and down the tape to try load the program. So I was, I, I was very early and that kind of stuff and I loved it, you know. So you were working as a butcher, interested in tech. And at that stage, did you ever think that maybe that you might... Uh, leave the butchering work and and move into something completely different? Never, because there was no tech. You yeah. know what I mean? There was no internet. There was early PC magazines. Apple had just opened in Cork. Nobody knew what they were doing because no one in Ireland was buying Apple computers in 1978 or 79. So it was kind of, you know, it was an interest... And, you know, I remember hot rods were an interest, cars, and yeah. you'd buy the car magazine and you'd dream. But, like, I'd never have dreamt that there was going to be something totally different for me, you know? You've been quite public about uh, issues that you had with alcohol in the early days. Um, what age were you when you think maybe it started becoming a problem for you? Probably early to mid-twenties. Right. Kind of, you know... I won't say it took over, but it, it's very funny. Drink is very insidious. It kind of creeps up. Right. And you're kind of into it before you know there's a problem. And well, then there's a major problem and you're thinking, Jesus, where did this come from? And was there any early signs about, you know, not going into work or that kind of stuff for alcohol-related problems, relationship issues. Absolutely, and <clears throat> I, I think that's the thing with everybody, you know. I, I, I think the one thing about alcoholism that I'm absolutely... And I don't know, you know, I know about me, and, you know, whatever the depths are in alcohol, people will find out themselves, but I know that alcohol wants you on your own. Yeah. Wants you somewhere quiet, wants you in trouble, and, you know, it, it worked its way through that whole gamut till it had me on my own and bed sits and... You know what I mean? Things things that, you know, and you, you kind of, probably the hardest part of all this is you yourself begin to accept less for you. Yeah. And then you're going, oh, <clears throat> what about this? What about this? And, and then you end up with nothing. Yeah. And does it become alcohol first and everything else Absolutely. afterwards? You get uh, to that place. Absolutely. The first, you know, someone said to me, a few weeks ago because I kind of wrote a post on LinkedIn and people you know a few people reached out to me do you think I have a problem what you know and it's a very simple thing if if alcohol costs you more than money you're in big trouble yeah and how did it affect your family life what caused mayhem and were know? they patient did they do their best for you everyone done their best for me you know but yeah. they, like relationships fell apart people were hurt um, you know, it again. It's that thing of wanting on your own. Yeah. You know, it's it it's it it it, it, it it's, it's tragic for families, and I'm not just saying wives, sisters, husbands, whatever. Every fam, the full spectrum, it does its own damage. 
So when and people talk about rock bottom, can you recall your own rock bottom? Yeah, I, uh, the night of the Big Bang. If you remember, all our computers were supposed to turn off and nobody knew what. Y2K. Y2K, exactly. I was trying to think of the term the other day. Y2K and uh, I had a kind of some sort of a breakdown where I imagined things that weren't there. I remember waking up in my living room and thinking it's snowing. 4 a.m. Why is it snowing in the house? And you're trying to logically ask yourself the question, well, there isn't snow here. Blink, you're dreaming. And you're not. And I remember walking, standing up off the sofa. You know, I woke up on the sofa hundreds of times. And you're walking out and I can hear the noise the snow is making with my feet. And then I go out and there's all the stalagmites down the stairs. And I'm trying to, I remember asking myself the question, is the mites go up or the tights go down? And which one is it? And this can't be real. And I'd been like, I'd been trying for three or four years to go to A. Yeah. And I'd kind of get a day, a week, a month, three months. And then I drink again because I thought these guys are all old. This isn't for me. This place is boring. You know, I will, what will I do with the rest of my life if I stop drinking? Because you think you've nothing left and that's all you have left. And, uh, I suppose I got a fright that night, a bad fright, and I went, hey, and that was it. I was 23. I, I, I was sick, so I didn't go till the 17th of January. So I was sick for two and a half weeks, probably mentally unwell. And I went on the 17th, and uh, that was 23 years ago. 17th of January, just gone. And what was the first meeting like? Listen, having to crawl back, yeah. because, like, I've... A has been astonishing for me, but I like funny stories as well. You know, you meet the guys, you're doing your best and bang, you're gone again. And you're going back in there and you kind of feel lower than a snake's belly, to be honest. Yeah. And, and, and that lasts <clears throat> for about 10 seconds because a load of guys and women in there, they're kind of welcoming you back, delighted to see you and they're happy for you to be back. And I just stuck with it. I went to two meetings a day for 90 days, as I was told. I went to a meeting every day for two years. Do you still go to meetings? I still go, yeah. yeah. Um, and 23 years later, what do you take away from those? What do you get out of it? I get some peace and quiet in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm able to carry the message. That's the most important thing to me. That, you know, that if someone sees me online or sees me talking about alcohol problems online, you know, that they might reach out and it might make a change in their life. So, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'm probably, I won't say I'm home and dry because that's completely <laughs> untrue. But I mean... And I, is that it, fear always there? Always, always. That, that, uh, that someday that uh, you, uh, always, you live with that fear, do A you? friend of mine drank a few years ago after 27 years. Wow. And this, it's something you just, I was blessed. I got some great breaks. I think the first break I got was I'm an alcoholic who can go into a pub and have a Coke with my friends and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Or I can go into a restaurant where there's wine around and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Loads of my friends couldn't put their foot inside the door. They would be uncomfortable. And I was lucky I got that kind of almost reintegration with life back. Yeah. So you were really okay. Yeah. And you were still able to have a social element yeah. with, with that and... And it not be a difficult. Okay, exactly. well, look, we, and that's we, a bit of a life, you know, that's a bit of a break because I know the people that haven't. Yeah. 
I know. Well, thank you for being so open about that. Uh, you, you, you trained as a chef. Well, just before we leave that, yeah. and we'll leave it now, but uh, do you put that down as a last 15 years? Yes, or? absolutely. You I do. mean, I learned. You know what I mean? It was kind yeah. of that... It was probably almost a time when I wasn't human. Yeah. To be honest, you know, just getting by. You know, these people you see walking around that just exist. And that was what I was doing. Yeah. I never lived, you know. And when you went and trained as a chef, yeah. was that during this period? Yeah, during, at the end, I, yeah. Th- I thought, like, listen, I was a butcher. I went to work for my dad for years, managed a nightclub across the way here, the Lacey House, oh, which everyone tough. knows yeah. well. Uh, and, you know, I, I couldn't work in pubs anymore, obviously. Like, you know, that, that that's insanity. And then I went back and did my chef's course and turned up, actually liked it, and I was a good chef. And... I worked with a guy called Jim Ryan up the street here in a place called Taste of Thailand. I, I became the head chef there. I was great as long as they fed me drink. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Ramsay of alcohol, you know. And uh, But I loved it. And, and, and from there then I went to A. And Jim was extraordinarily good to me. Very understanding. Because, you know, yeah. employing an alcoholic is is problematic. Yeah. And, and I suppose you do remember the people... That were were good to oh, you. Oh, absolutely. And I'm Jim sure Ryan, there were many of them. Jim Ryan should have fired me out the door <laughs> on more than fifty occasions, you know. So he was very good to me. And then I just when I stopped drinking, it was just like someone had reconnected the wires. Yeah. And I had all these ideas that had been sitting there for years. Amazing. And they just happened. Like from from nothing and zero, I mean. Going into in two years, I was fairly comfortable, you know. And the first uh, gem of an entrepreneurial idea then came out of the chefing, yeah, because you were you became effectively an agency. You, you'd remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody could get staff. Yeah. And my buddy Don had Luigi Malone's. I knew another few guys who were in McDonald's, and nobody could get staff. It was all work permits. It was the year, to, and. Uh, Jim had met a guy in Kuala Lumpur, an Irish guy called Patrick something, and he said, well, I've got thousands of chefs, yeah. and I've got thousands of kitchen KPs, and I've got thousands of waitresses. And he's like, what? And they're all highly skilled, and they'd be thrilled to come work for you. And myself and Jim start a recruitment agency, yeah. and we just went everywhere. We look after the work permit for you. We'll give you 50 CVs for your kitchen porter. And we'll make sure they come in, they're looked after, another buddy owned at Sheila's Hostel. So we made sure if they were coming, they had accommodation. First guy in was a guy from Dhaka in Bangladesh. I'm the godfather of his son. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I remember collecting him in the airport thinking, this is great, this is great. And he had hundreds of razors and hundreds of shaving foam. And we got him in and he stayed. And six months later, he bought his wife. And now they have three kids who are in college in Cork. Isn't that amazing? And, 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 you know, he then said to me, oh, yeah, but this guy's good, this guy's good. And we just started building Cork's Bangladesh community. Yeah. And it, it came out of that. It's funny because we didn't, until those years, and I remember them well as well, like, all of a sudden we had a whole lot of people that weren't Irish coming to the yeah. country. It almost happened. Like, I was the head chef. It was so bad in the end. I was the head chef, and some nights I'd be the wear washer as well. Yeah. Because there was just no one willing to do it. Yeah. No matter what you paid. So we got that, they all arrived, and then they started wanting to send emails. 
I oh, I'd seen one of these internet cafes. I thought I'd give that a go. Right. I opened this internet cafe. I'm not kidding you. It's way smaller than the room, this room. And we had eight computers. And he was come to send emails. And then I'd seen another place somewhere where you could go into a cabin and make a phone call home. I thought, that can't be hard. I'm techie. Figured out how to put the phone calls over IP. Knew a guy in London who knew a guy. And all of a sudden, we had a call center. Wow. And now they started making, they started coming to make calls and internet. The place used to be jammed. I opened another one, another one, another one. We had 13 of them in the end. They're all phoning. And then, of course, the first poll arrived. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Now we had Poland, Georgia, Lithuania, Latvia. All Actually, my son's married to a girl from Latvia. And then we had all these nationalities coming. Cork and Ireland was becoming cosmopolitan. The front of house was, you know, in restaurants. <coughs> and your business, you remember, was usually Polish. Well, I remember, uh, and again, just to, just to endorse your story, I remember when we had 500 staff at one stage, about 2006, 2007, there were only three Irish people yeah. in our company, and I was one of them. Yeah. I remember uh, we had the first guy from Georgia in Cork, we had the first girl from Poland who worked for us, and it was like, okay, this is going to be the future now. And then I built a ton of internet cafes, and then some, someone said to me, I think it was Kamal said to me, one, but you know, Pat, they want to make phone calls at night. And I said, I wonder how phone cards work. And then I found another guy in England and we built Europe's largest phone card provider. Wow. Remember the scratch cards? You yeah. have to make a long distance call and should we be selling Moore Street? We'd be supplying all of Moore Street, all of... Uh, so did you see, did you, would you have seen yourself almost falling into that business? No, I was kind oh, so, of taught about. So I was you kind were watching... Of, I was watching the trends of the, the, the migrant community. Yeah, yeah. And thinking they're going to need to settle. Yeah, it's funny when you think back at that time now because, like, they're they're really that was a huge change, societal change for Ireland, both for the people who came and indeed for us Irish. For all of us, because yeah. at the time no one would work in coffee shop. It, it, and I was listening this morning to a thing about Ukrainians, and you know, obviously I'm in, I'm in favour of people coming to Ireland, but now it's saying you know it's there's twenty five thousand. And, you know, I believe in reality, if the Ukrainian people wanted to work here, we have 25,000 jobs. Of course we do. Yeah. And yeah. get them in and get them working and yeah. get people resettled. And, you know, they might never go back, please God, because the minute the last recession happened, every pole went home almost. And then you couldn't get toilers, blah, blah, blah. And that's caused a huge shortage of trades to this day. Yeah. So that done very well. I sold that company. And then I'd been traveling forever, running around Europe, trying to get direct lines into Georgia. I was in Lithuania, Latvia, Georgia, Czech Republic. And uh, I had a huge roaming bin and I started this thing called Cubic Telecom. And was that really, how did that work in layman's terms? Did that effectively reduce or stop roaming charges? It, it, it almost eliminated your roaming charges. Right. So you put our SIM into your phone when you leave, you forward your calls to this Cork number, and now you're roaming on our network. Wow. And that really... Did the big networks hate that? Hated it. Yeah. But we'd license out of 
uh, uh, Monaco or something like that. I can't remember now. <laughs> Liechtenstein. So we got a license out of Liechtenstein. That grew rapidly. Um, I sold that then. I sold out that then. Let me ask you two things. Firstly, yeah. the ability to spot trends. Uh, is that something that you always had? Are yeah. you, you're still interested even to this day? Is that something that you feel you're good at? I think it's my skill. Right. I think it's my secret skill. I see stuff early. And the other, the other part of that question is knowing when to sell. Yes. So even going back to the internet cafe, the phone card business, building it up, but knowing where to get off. As the fellow says, you get off the train, but do you get off at the right station? I suppose I'm getting a bit better at that. I mightn't <laughs> sell as quick now. But, you know... Um, but it does allow you to do the next thing. It, do, is that, it, it is does, that? but the problem is, you know, there are some of them, you know, when I look when I look back to the next thing after Cubic, which was Trust Dev, and, you know, that was the solve fraud in the internet. And that was, you know, you'd remember from DEY. Yeah. We had a huge exit there, you know, set for life, great-grandchildren or well, whatever. Before we come oh, to sorry, that, no, no, I wanted to ask you about, yeah. about Trust Dev came about... Because of fraud, is yeah, that right? We, so in, like just, just, just in, in Cubic, we had a ton of fraud, and we were <clears> partners with Ryanair, partners with the airlines, etc. And people would buy sims, and they'd buy sims with you know two hundred euros in credit on the sim. They'd get the sim, use it immediately, and then I'd get a notification from the bank: "Hey, that was fraud, and we've taken the two hundred off you, and we've charged you ten euros processing fee as well." So yes. you you lost the costs and. I was thinking, Jesus, someone should really solve this if the internet's going to be big. And I started talking to people about e-com and saying, well, what about fraud? And they said, yeah, it's kind of a cost of doing business. And what is it? Oh, it's about 5 or 10%. I was thinking, but you only make 20. And if this is 10, how do I, how, how can I build a solution? And Chris Kennedy, who worked with me, uh, was the CTO at Cubic. And we, we both left then. And, uh, we had a little office down the street here in Cork because he's from Cork. Well, he's from Waterford. We lived in Cork. And we started building this and it was kind of an, all, an almost piece of software which was looking at everything in the network effect. So if you come in to buy something from me online, I'm able to see where you're from. Have we seen your device before? Are you behaving correctly on the website? How old is your email? When was your email created? Have you a mobile number? When was that mobile number created? Have we seen that mobile number in that email? And take this almost at the end of at the end of trust of 700 pieces of data. And then we were working with banks and lenders and make a decision. And the only decision we ever made was, is Bobby who they say there? Right. So it was an identity. An identity. We created the first digital identity. Right. And then that grew massively, very quickly. And then we went out to sell it or to sell it to customers and nobody wanted it. And Why didn't they want it? Because one, nobody ever got fired for saying no. <laughs> yeah. Fraud guys were kind of almost the kings of the castle in, e- in e-commerce companies. This was before, before marketing took over and they were saying, oh, that's my job. That's manual review. We have a hundred people here who do manual review and who guess. We... And then what we figured out was, hey, someone said to me one day, I'm spending a fortune in marketing and I'm not getting cut through. And he gave us some numbers. And what we found was that 
marketing were driving all the business, fraud was stopping all the business. Yeah. So we we then decided to reposition the company and we spoke to marketeers only. And what we spoke to them was that we have a commerce enablement platform. Yeah. So it was about how you were selling the product, even though you probably didn't change the technology. No, it was just we, a different way of selling it. We changed uh, how we sold. Yeah. And we sold it as a, not a fraud blocker, but a commerce enablement. Right. And that done super well. We took some investment and we sold it in record time, like sub three years. and 40 million? 40 million. And did you ever think you got 40 million for oh, it when you were sending it up? <laughs> but everyone done well. And, and that was the part I loved. And you know Jerry Canelli well, you know? Yeah. And I know Jerry Canelli well. And I'm a big fan of his, you know? And Jerry talks about, you know, they arrived on bikes and left in Porsches. And I really believe in that. Yeah. And we made sure the whole team was looked after everyone on the, that was the part I learned. I really learned about team and I really learned from people like Jerry and people like Column Line about how they looked after their teams yeah. and that when you got that bit of money, it wasn't just yours, it was everyone. It's one thing saying team, yeah. uh, but when the payday comes, doing team is a slightly yeah. different and then, thing. And then trying to, I remember we got our money and there was about 10, like said, and maybe 40 employees and there was about 10 in the ESOP. And I was looking out the room and I never felt worse because I was thinking, oh, I've gotten millions, but there's 30 people outside the door who've gotten nothing. Yeah. And I, I said to Chris, we'll have to do something or we lose the team. And I remember two of us putting a bundle of money and we said, we're going to bonus everyone through the hilt out of our money. Yeah. And it was the best move I've ever made. And from then I've been obsessed about team and obsessed about ESOP. And I stayed there for two years and uh, kind of enjoyed it, like, but not. It was suited and booted. It was a public company. Just interested in your yeah. perspective. You have obviously, you've sold trust. Have, you have more money than you know really what to do yeah. with in terms of seeing you out. So tell me about the, 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 the go again piece. So you maybe don't bet the house, but you, you, you take a portion of what you got and you go again. I love finding things. I like finding trends. If you, if you, like if, if you were to look at Sisu, and this is the amazing thing, and if you were to look at Brian and James, who are my partners, doc, both doctors, they opened, not the first Sisu, but they opened Visage, which was their first clinic before I came along. I know James 20 years. They opened that 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, Botox in Ireland. <clears throat> and then you're kind of, I'm living in New York. I'm working for TransUnion as EVP of global fraud. I'm getting out of the subway every morning at Bryant Park. I'm looking across the way and I see queues and I look over and it's this thing called dry bar where the women in New York are paying 65 bucks to get their hair dry blow dry before they go to work I'm thinking and then the early emergence of the Kardashians the early emergence of the ordinary a beauty brand and other beauty brands and I want to do something in beauty right I'm thinking this beauty wellness it's a trend it's going to be huge people are going to spend more and more I see gyms everywhere now people are going to spend more and more on themselves and James is my friend here they've opened their clinic they're working around the clock. They're making a great job of it. And James used to ring me for a bit of advice. 
hey, I want to do a booking engine. Hey, hey, hey. And then I started coming home and I'm thinking, and it's the thing that people have completely missed about this industry. Botox and injectables are software as a service. Yeah. You get it in January, it's gone in March. So all I've got to do in our business is make sure that the CAC is okay, cost of acquisition. I know we've got an LTV of 10 years nearly. Yeah. I know our conversion rate of first appointments. So we're treating this business, even though it's patients and doctors, the KPIs look like software. So it's medically led, which differentiates Absolutely. us. Yeah, and, and do you think that, that medically led gives us a credibility I that think others it's the key. don't have? I think it's the key to everything. Yeah. I think it's the key to everything. I love not knowing what happens in the room with the doctors. Yeah. Because I have the best partners in the world to look after that part. And you can look after the And I can look after the scaling, getting the money, building out clinics, even though Brian is really good at that as well. But I don't have to worry that Everyone here isn't treated like a patient because I have two brilliant doctors. Yeah. I've 40 doctors now. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. So going back to the process of getting into this business, you identify beauty from what you saw yes. on the streets of New York. You say, I'm getting into this beauty business. Maybe you don't know how you're getting into it. Then you work that out. Toothbrushes. And then you go for it. So I was going to do a toothbrush. Right. So I rang Liam Casey from New York because Liam's in everything with me. I rang Liam and I said, hey, how much are two electric toothbrush heads? And he said, they're about 5 or $10. I said, I think people aren't looking after their teeth. And he said, how do you mean? Well, I said, I've watched Dollar Shave Club, which if nobody have ever seen it, Google Dollar Shave Club YouTube video. It's the best marketing video I've ever seen. <clears throat> so I thought if I can raise some money and I can ship people the head of the toothbrush free, yeah. that then I would have a D2C product that once a quarter, I would send you a new head, four different flavor mouthwashes, and then I developed... With my own money, this thing is called tooth foam because I thought toothpaste is a terrible experience. Someone leaves it open. Anyway, it's it's not good. But I developed this thing that was actually a foam, like a shower gel. And I took it the whole way. I'd lean doing mock-ups. I'd think, and I said, this could be really big. And at the end, I said, I don't know, will it be big enough? And I I didn't do it. Interesting, just to chat about that for a second. So... How much time, money, energy did you put into that and then decide, I'm going to do something different? 100k. Wow. Months. Yeah. Of spare time, of course, up all night. Yeah. Designing the toothbrushes. And funny enough, it was done about a year later by a company called Quip, Q-U-I-P, and they raised 47 million. Yeah. But I don't, you don't strike me as a fellow who has regrets. No, not at all. Not yeah, at all. Yeah. I, I, I hope they do brilliant. I yeah. actually emailed them the idea for the tooth foam and gave it to them. <laughs> um, so we talked we just about, let's talk about the present then and, yeah. and let's talk about Sisu. Uh, where is it at currently? I know you took an investment. I know you're on a rollout, a fairly aggressive one, both in Ireland, the UK and indeed America. T- tell us more. So... We're, we have 17 clinics in Ireland where, without doubt, 
30% up on target in February, 30% up on target in January, which were regressive targets. Uh, we've raised 11 million from VCs, which is hilarious because, you know, VCs coming into injectable businesses make no sense. But they were guys who've made money with me, so they're, they're happy enough to back me. Does, does that... Uh, that community, that VC community, you just, you, you said it there. Success kind of breeds success. If you're successful and they're backed, you, they've backed you before, it's a fairly easy sell to get them to back no, you a second time, or is it? absolutely impossible. My lead investor in Trustive and made like 20x on their money. Yeah. We went to meet them. I, I'd been pitching them for ages and I, I, I was ringing them. Hey, I've got this thing. It looks really good. Here's the number. He says, needles, can you not do something in tech? <laughs> and eventually they listened and myself and Brian flew to New York. And, you know, can you call it anything else? I don't like this injectable thing. And Brian's like, listen, it's injectables. And uh, they said, OK. And I remember going into the building and they made us wash our hands. And I thought, well, it's I said to Brian, is this COVID thing serious, this thing in China? And he said, yeah, I think it might be, you know. Yeah. And we had to wash our hands going in and people were starting to get a bit nervous. And we did the pitch and they said, yeah, we'll back you. And we flew back to Ireland next day and that was it. Ireland closed. Yeah. You used COVID, you put COVID to good use though, because I know you got involved in an app. Uh, yeah, I, 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 a couple of things. I, I, I think probably the best part of COVID for me, the thing I look back on the most fondly is every single doctor, which was 20 of them, 20 of them at the time, roughly, left their employment and they all went back to a Which, again, was very generous of them. Incredible, incredible, because yeah. they, they were working for us. Yeah. And then um, I we, we kind of had to keep the landlords weren't you know i love when people say oh yeah they were very cooperative landlords weren't as cooperative as people said and they kind of pushed hard because we had raised some money the year before and they kind of said these guys are wealthy they might as well take it out and feeling as money i said to brian we better do something here and myself and brian built an e-commerce business creams lotions spfs and it were and teeth whitening kits we got them in from somewhere and I live out in Killeen's, but they had a checkpoint down the end of the road, so I couldn't go nowhere. But I noticed they weren't stopping bikes. So I got a racer from a guy in Waterford, and every day I cycled in. Morning, lads, straight past them. And we, we, we Brian, had bag, Brian had half the stock, and he was in Dublin, he was in James's in the A&E. He'd bag it all up there, and I'd bag it all here, and we'd post it out. Wow. And it kept paying the rent, yeah. and it grew really well. And then... I had been traveling for years. I got very heavy, stupid heavy. And uh, I was on the bike and starting to fit fitting up a bit. And my friend was a kind of a private gym instructor. And uh, he used to prick my finger. And he pricked my finger and take my blood sugars every time before I train. And he'd go, ah, you, you, and shit last night, blah, blah, blah. And he'd be giving out to me. I said, how do you know? I can see it in your blood. So I was thinking, well, if I finished with him now and then ate rubbish, he wouldn't see it tomorrow. Always like the shortcut. And then I started thinking about, well, I wonder, can instead of pricking the blood, I wonder, can I build something during lockdown and transmit the bloods for him only, for him and me, a bit of a game. And I built it then and people liked it. And that led to limbo. And 
we raised six million last year from Hoxton Ventures, who were the guys behind Deliveroo, Dark Trace. So you run that in parallel then? With, with I have it. No, I actually, my chief marketing officer, Rorick, is the CEO, and there's a team in 19, and I'm the poster by chairman, whatever. But that's going exceptionally well. Crazy weight loss. Like, there's people with 30, 40 kgs. And it gives no diet advice and it gives no training advice. It just says stay in the zone and we'll give you a little few hints. Yeah. It tells you what works for you. Okay. And that's the part I love about it. And do you find that a hard sell when you're trying to convince people? Is there there doubters? Is there... I think there's always doubters. But I think it's kind of a thing where people go, here, listen, don't take my word. There's 50 people on the website doing videos telling you... They're paid. They've paid for it. They'll tell you what happened with them. And like what I decided to do this year was I decided to make a big challenge with myself because I got lazy over Christmas, Christmas pudding. You know, I'm addicted. And I said, January 9th, I'm going to do a big push this year and I'm going to put all my stats on the Internet. And if you go to limborevolution.com forward slash Pat, you can see my blood sugars, my exercise, everything. It's open. Right. Anything I do, anything I eat, you can see all the effect on me. And having that kind of people pushing me to say, I can see you on the internet now. I'm down 10 kg from January 9th. You look great. But that's a huge business now, and I think that's going to do very well. Sisu is 17 in Ireland. I'm just back from Houston opening another one. So we have one in Houston two in New York, two in Miami, another one to come to Fort Lauderdale, another one in Brooklyn. We've opened three in London, uh, Mayfair, Hampstead, Richmond. You know, it's a big company now. So what's the end game here? Or is it different to the end game in Trustev? I, I, I think we're, we're probably right now the largest injector on the planet, or definitely the largest chain that's dedicated because that's what we do. We do right. injectables. We don't do anything else. Uh, no, what's happening is when we talk to private equity and we talk to investors about our next fundraise, you're starting to see this word thrown around super trend. It's early. Are you making money? Oh yeah. Profit, profitable. Yeah. 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 Fully profitable. Yeah. Great. I'm growing at 30% a month. So excellent. Like it, it's great. It's great. It's very different. You know, I, I mean, I'd say people are still kind of scratching their heads, you know, do you use Botox yourself? I do. So tell me about it. How does it work? I've never it's had a, it. It's a, it's a, well, we can get it done after no, this, no, too. No. <laughs> There's no bother. <laughs> um, it's a muscle relaxant. So if you think about it, I'm 57. My forehead's pretty smooth. It's a muscle relaxer. So people think, oh, it freezes it so it doesn't. It just relaxes it. Yeah, so there's so no So if I frown. do this, you can see. Yeah. They come up. These two over here, they bug me. That's it. And I love it. And... There's a couple more things that there's a thing called Profilo, which is like an injectable facial and just makes your skin good. I see you have a tattoo. When did I you do. get that? I've loads. I got them young, I got them young and then I added to them. So there's tons. And what's, tell me about your relationship with tattoos. This is the chef one. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm, just, I'm a rocket ship. Just to describe it for listeners, uh, it's a, 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 a carving knife, a chef's apron, a whisk, a ladle. Uh, and uh, an, egg tongs, an egg flipper, yeah. <laughs> and that's something by Banksy. That's Memento Mori, which I love. 
So you you've know. had always, you've had tattoos since I, your twenties. I've had them since my twenties. Yeah, you know? and I kind of, I haven't got one over a long time, but uh, and I, I had no encouragement to get one, so just loads here. Just yeah, that and that's right across your chest. Yeah, that was brave. <laughs> when did you get that one? Years about five years ago, maybe or wow. something. But I like them. Um, they're different, and I've gotten. I, I think I've loaded hairs up. I do. This uh, was the last one I got. Which is day one. I was, someone told me it's either one day or day one. And, and, and I liked a, it. There's a chef there, a skeleton with a chef's yeah, hat on, which yeah. is probably goodbye to chef. Goodbye to chef. <laughs> but there's loads, yeah, another one on my back. I have a huge one on my leg. I'd probably, we have lasers here so I can get them taken off if I feel like it. Did you get them locally or is that part all of the travel over, thing? All over, all yeah. over. I've actually, the first one we got here, I think, it's it here? Season. Four of us got them together, and I paid for the other three. But that's we've, up, way, we've that's upgraded. That's one way of making a commitment to the brand. We've, up, we've updated the logo now, so I have to do the new one. Stop. Um, tell us then about just. I want to stay with cosmetics for a second. So, people criticise cosmetics, putting young people under pressure. This whole thing of body image, body shaming, yeah. all that stuff that was never around when you and I were kids. Yeah. What's your take on that? Is it, a, is, it a, is it an added responsibility that we now give to kids that they don't need? I think that's happening anyway. Yeah. I think, you know, Instagram world, TikTok world, huge amount of filters. I think we're probably, we're at least the most responsible. We don't do any, you know, it's over 18s at a minimum. In reality, it's in people in their 20s come to us. We're, Is we're, it a highly regulated business? Oh, very regulated. Right. Very regulated. No, we've applied. We're pushing the minister at the moment. And we've been pushing him for two years and getting nowhere. Because Botox is a licensed drug. Which means it can only be a dentist or a doctor. It's prescribed. Is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But what they've done was the fillers, you know, these huge lips... The fillers, they forgot to regulate that. So you can go out of here into a beautician's. Get your lips filled. And get your lips filled by a person with no medical experience. Wow. And they're going in around arteries. And that might be 50 quid cheaper than us. But you've no doctor. Yeah. And if she hits an artery and gets an occlusion, that's it. You're gone. Yeah. And I think because we are doctors or James and Brian and all the team are doctors. Our biggest sector is doctors. I'd love to see more regulation because that's the area where I think the regulation is lacking. And I think as well, you know, we have a do not treat. We're very careful. We we look at body dysmorphia. You know, people coming in with unrealistic expectations. Hey, I want to look like this one. We're very careful about that kind of stuff. It's a big part of our policy. Do you see a lot of people coming back from other places? Yes. Uh, where you end up undoing stuff? It's our number one request. We don't do it. Yeah. You know, you can't. It's like, you know, you took your Porsche to the... You become part of the problem. Exactly. If, exa- if exactly. So work. so we avoid it completely. Yeah. Um, and it's we usually recommend A&E and plastics. plastics. You know, we have... We have uh, People who are much more qualified than us in that. But it's something we don't get involved in when we really, really try to avoid. So are you, are you heavily lobbying then for heavily. change in legislation? Yeah, we joined the Irish Lobbying Association. 
We've written to the minister, I think, four times now. We've got one reply. And, and it's a simple change. Just make these fillers a medical uh, prescriptive. And that solves the whole industry. Mm. I just think then, like, I don't genuinely, and I mean this from my heart, I don't care where you go. But if you're going, spend an extra few quid and go to a med- medical professional. Right. You don't want some idiot injecting your face who's no clue what they're doing in reality. You've been <clears throat> quite vocal in, as well, Pat, uh, about issues surrounding how the country is run. What about entrepreneurs and how they're viewed in this country? As one yourself, as somebody who's, you know, created jobs, paid tax, uh, bought and sold, well, not bought, but built and sold many businesses. I, do, you, do you have a problem giving a third or half of it away? I love paying tax. Yeah. I love it. I've no problem with it. I'm an employee. I've paid millions in capital gains. I pay it all through Ireland. I'm not going anywhere else. Yeah. I've never done the overseas thing. It suits me to pay it. Ireland looked after me when I couldn't look after myself. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm, I'm very proud to be a taxpayer, to be honest. I just would really like that I could get better services for my tax. Right. That's a, that's a fair comment. Uh, it, money isn't an issue for you now, no. obviously. So, and you're not flash. You live modestly. You said you've always wanted a Porsche. Did you end up buying one? Never. I kind of think, you know... I think the Porsche should be a bit flash in Cork, you know. I have the X5. I have a new X5. I mean, hidden the money. Yeah. And I could probably buy a beautiful Porsche for what I spent for the new X5. I, I, I think I'm gone past the midlife crisis window. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, I'll buy one eventually. That I guarantee because I keep looking. And didn't even a new one. I like the 2008, 2009. That's the 911. Yeah. That's the one I like. You're somebody who's back trends. What's the next trend that you might have an eye on? I think wellness is going to be forever giving. Yeah. Cardio, wellness, that type of thing. I think the space we're in with CSU is super strong. I think weight loss is just like a given. I think that kind of 360 health. I see now that in New York, there's the emergence of these. Um, you can walk in and get a full body scan. Yeah. Two and a half, two point five or $2,500. You walk in or you make an appointment and they scan your whole body imaging and you can get an idea of what could be the problems that emerge here now it'll drive doctors mad because you're going hey what's that tiny little flick on my wrist there but you can get a complete no imaging of yourself and i think what's probably going to emerge even faster is these emergence of private clinics yeah where people just won't want to go to the doctors anymore or they won't want to go to hospitals and they'll actually pay and do you see, can you see a day then that's often talked about where we're all living to being 120, 130? I'd love to live to 120. I think there's a person has been born already who will live to 150. Right. I think preventative medicine is early stages, microdosing. I think it's just early stages. I think there's stuff with corrective in the womb stuff, you know, changing DNA. I think this is all very short windows. Well, what would you say to a younger Pat feeling, the fella at the butcher's block in 1979? I suppose be, be a bit braver, believe a bit more. You know, those kind of dreams aren't really dreams. Yeah. You know, because 
they were different times. I'd love to have done more early, you know. Yeah. But like believe would probably be the most important thing because I'd no belief in myself. St- still don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure about that. Pat, we've had a lovely conversation. I've enjoyed every second of it. You're going to take me over to the English market now. What are we? What can I expect to see there or... What part of you will we see in the oh, English market? Well, now you can see something that looks like the Bacaria. <laughs> you know, it was a different thing in my time. You know, I used to uh, clean the butcher's block and sell the chops and mince meat at 36 pence a pound. Wow. Long time ago. And uh, the one where I worked is now called On the Pig's Back. It's a fancy cheese place. Which we'll is, go and have a look at that. Know, we'll have a look at that. <laughs> Bit of fancy cheese, why not? Okay, let's do that. Alright, good man. So, Pat, we're here in the English market. It's buzzing as always. Uh, Tell us a bit about uh, your relationship with this great place. Well, I used to work just here. It's called On the Pigs Back now. It used to be uh, Barry Collins Butchers for a guy called Willie Beechner. I was there for three years from 12 to 15 and a half and it hasn't really changed you know the English market's just an institution it's kind of it's kind of our back area yeah I think I see a butcher's block there in the background would you have cleaned that if there's oh, one no, there I'd clean it the toughest there was two jobs that I used to hate was one you had to clean the butcher's block at the end with sawdust and the other one was lifting the the salted meat Remember the corned beef yeah, and yeah, the yeah. tongues? You'd have to go into the barrel and lift them out of the barrel of the brine. And in, in, in winter mornings, you can imagine your hand, there was no health and safety. This is a kind of a cold place in the yeah. sense that I'd say working here, you you know, there's a wind blowing through it. Bitter. It's almost like being outside. Big jumpers under white coats and, you know, different times, you know, there was nobody worried about your well-being. But it, 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 the English market says Cork like nowhere else, you know, in terms of, you know, people selling tripe and drusheen. Yeah. Uh, it's, and I know you're a very proud Cork man, so talking to me here means a lot to you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's kind of a bit, you know, if you, it's going to change. And I think hopefully you'll see more of the food type thing in here because, you know, it's a Friday afternoon. It should be packed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's so beautiful you know if you start getting more food and more I think there'll be an opportunity for more entrepreneurs to come in there and I think it could really transform it and it is like a, 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 like a, like everywhere it really has to keep inventing itself yes you need new things coming in and while there's great tradition and there's great history and great love here it does have to represent what people want it needs or otherwise we become like you know the old Guinness place in Dublin but like, you know, you've Tom Durkin, Tom Durkin over there who sells the best spiced beef in the world and ships it worldwide yeah. that you can't even get near the place for December. Yeah, that's great. It's a really good, it's a really good piece of Cork history. Well, listen, I'm delighted to be here with you. We've had a great chat. Uh, you've let me into your world. I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with everything you do, Pat. Thanks very much, Bob. Cheers. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. That's it for another episode of Life and Leadership with me, Bobby Kerr. If you're affected by anything you heard in this interview, you can contact the Samaritans on 116123 or you can visit alcoholicsanonymous.ie. 
All episodes are available on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.